Hilary Naughton. Welcome to the Uprint Podcast. It's time to remember your power and become the architect of your reality. Join me as we explore the art of intentional co-creation. We delve into the science and the magic. Hear expansive stories from entrepreneurs and creatives around the world who channeled their ideas and inspiration into real life by following their passions and staying true to their inner guidance. My intention is to empower you to act on your desires and live a life in vibrant color. Thanks for tuning in. Now we vibe. Good day. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy that you're here. And whether it's you're tuning in for the first time or you're a devoted weekly listener, I thank you for coming and sharing your energy with me. We are still in the middle of the most glorious summer here in Byron Bay and in Australia. And part of my 2023 resolution was to start waking up super early again. I'd let that practice slide quite a bit last year. And I know how powerful it is to be up before the sun. And if you've got kids, you know, getting your time in solo before they're up, demanding all the little things from you just means that you're more refreshed and that you've got a fuller cup to pour from. So in just a few weeks, I've gone from a 645 wake up call to 445 and it has amplified my energy tenfold. I've been riding my electric bike down on the sand most mornings. It's got these big fat tires, so it's easy to do that. Sometimes I go hiking, I'll go for a swim, I'll hit the gym. And then when I'm done, I spend a couple hours, well, I don't know, maybe an hour and a half, two hours, and I get back to my family super refreshed. And something about watching the sunrise gives me so much more value for my day and a lot of time to reflect on things. This morning, I was reflecting on intuition based on the guests that we have on, which I'll go into in a minute. But I was thinking about the different tools that I've implemented over the years to connect deeper to my intuition because it's definitely been a learning process. And I thought I'd go through just a few of them with you just in case they might be of some help. But um, one of the things that I do to connect deeper with my intuition is to eliminate any kind of fear-based content. So I want to make sure that I'm like tuned in to what my, how I'm actually feeling about a situation. And I noticed when I watch the news or read newspapers, or even sometimes listen to like the different news breaks on the radio, I would just be like, oh God, the world is going to shit. <laughs> and that's not how I really feel about the world. And so I, and I wanted to connect deeper with the way I actually felt about different things that were happening, especially over the last few years. So I eliminated the news and immediately felt a huge relief. I, as you know, if you listen to the show, gave up alcohol about a year ago. I had a bit over Christmas. In all, in all truth, I had, I don't know, maybe like 10 drinks over the Christmas break. And I'm back off of alcohol because what I realized is that it, it just kind of blocked my perception of situations. And I wasn't seeing things as clearly as I was when I was not drinking. So limiting alcohol 
and drugs as well. I know I sound like I'm not fun. (laughs) I swear I used to be really fun, but um, you know what it's, I mean, maybe you know what it's like, maybe you don't, but I had my party days for sure. And you know, you have a big rager, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. The next day it will, that night you feel amazing. And then you wake up and you're like, I'm such a loser. (laughs) Like my life is going nowhere. And, you know, so I found by limiting alcohol and even fun recreational drugs that it really helped connect me more to my intuition and, and my real self. Lately, I have also cut out caffeine and coffee. I found that when I would drink it, I'd get like a boost. I'd feel amazing. And then the afternoon I would start, I would start to question all my life choices. (laughs) And so it's been about a month without caffeine and it's really helped me feel more grounded and connected. So that's another one. And setting boundaries, setting boundaries around your time around who you share your energy with helps to strengthen your intuition. I found, or maybe you can think about a time when there, I know there are so many in my life when I've ignored my gut instinct on something or someone, and then it comes back to bite me in the butt. And I'm like, damn it. I knew that. I knew it. I knew that person was like shady. I knew that that situation wasn't going to be right, but I didn't listen to my intuition. So sitting, reflecting on those situations, thinking back on what I was actually feeling at the time and starting to set boundaries when I feel those old kind of patterns coming back has really helped strengthen my intuition. So just a few hot tips before we we dive into the real expert on intuition. Today, we've got Chris Franken on the show to chat with us about connecting with our purpose and our intuition. She's a spiritual author and mentor, a certified meditation teacher, and an energy healer. And she's also psychic, which how cool is that? According to her, we're all psychic and we'll get into that, but she's very tapped into that side of herself. She has devoted her life to awakening the light within herself and others. And her background is a degree from university in psychology and sociology with over 15 years of experience as a professional writer. So She's going to take us on her journey through her career working in print media, working as a beauty editor, seeing the truth behind that whole world. And then through her work as a freelance journalist, she discovered her her true work and true passions. And that's how she got into all of this work around intuition and purpose. So this episode is full of so many nuggets. Oh my goodness. We even go down, I wouldn't even say it's a rabbit hole. We just go into the the world of Mount Shasta and the different dimensions and beings that are living there in California. If you're in America, maybe you've heard of it. So we we talk about so many different things, our, our lineage and tapping into our ancestors to help as guides in this lifetime to help bring us to our purpose and heal past traumas. And there's just so many juicy bits in this. I can't wait to, to jump in and for you to hear it. So you know the drill. Sit back, relax, enjoy the show, and I'll catch you on the other side. 
Good day, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today, I am sitting with the beautiful Chris Franken. Welcome. Thank you so much, Hillary. It's so good to be here. Oh my God. It's so funny. This is like a, a, not a surreal moment, but it's just funny how the universe works. Like you and I met in the parking lot of our kids' school, like two years, three years ago? Two years ago. Was that two? It was almost exactly two years ago. Yeah. And we just started chatting and we like, it was like instant, like, and then we, we reconnected on social media. Yes. And then it was just like, oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't even know you did all this stuff. I didn't know you were a psychic and a mentor and an author and a magazine writer and all the things. So I'm so happy that you're here and we can have these conversations. I wanted to jump in and kind of the way that we, we always start the show is just with a bit about your background, kind of where you grew up, how you grew up and what was modeled to you when you were a kid for what you thought was possible for your life? That's such a great question. I was born in Canada, in Toronto, and we moved around a lot. And a part of me loved it and a part of me hated it. I, I'm a Gemini. I make friends really easily, but I also don't like to let them go because I make really fast, really loyal friends. Oh. People who I just adore and just crush on forever. And then so for me to have to like leave as a kid, I don't think my parents got it because my parents grew up in Winnipeg, Manitoba, which back then would have been a really small town, but now is quite a big kind of small town, I guess. Which coast, like where is that in Canada? Oh, Manitoba is a little bit east of the centre, Okay. Like on the way to Toronto, Ontario. So it's cold. It's really cold. Yeah. And um, I think my parents were super keen to get out of there. Um, they met when they were quite young. They traveled around Canada a lot. After I was born, they moved to Sydney, Australia. My dad's business was very global. We moved to Sydney, lived there for a couple of years, then Melbourne, and then Detroit, Michigan, which is why I'm gangster. Yeah, totally. <laughs> You're a thug. I love it. <laughs> People always wonder how I get so gangster and there it is. Yeah, yeah totally. You're from Detroit. What is it? Like seven mile? What's it called? Is that the one where Eminem's from? Oh, eight mile? Eight miles. Yeah, I was close. You, you were just a mile <laughs> off. Couldn't have been closer. De- we lived outside of Detroit, so I didn't understand the grit of Detroit back then. My dad obviously protected us from that, but he saw it. He knew it. It was super interesting. He asked my brother and I, if we wanted to move back to Canada, he had a business opportunity to go back to Canada or to move to Australia. I had cousins in Canada who I adored, but we ended up moving back to Australia, which is kind of crushing for me, but I'm actually really glad I came to Australia. Australia is my heart. We lived in Sydney. I grew up all over, I grew up in the Northern part of Sydney, met my husband when I was, you know, 22 or something really young. Very young. Yeah. So we've been together for 22 years, half my life. Yeah. Wow. We've been together a really long time. So what was modeled to me by my parents, I had a really rough relationship with my dad and I really believe that the resistance between us was a powerful way for me to launch myself into adulthood. I, I, um, I have a really deep sense of, please don't tell me what to do with my life. Okay. Like you're stubborn or just? I'm stubborn. I'm a rebel. I don't like reading instructions. I will do things my way. I will work out my technology without an instruction manual, please. (laughs) I am ridiculously independent. And I think that the resistance in my, especially in my teenage years between my dad and I, I think it was kind of vital 
even though it was traumatic, it was kind of vital at the same time. I've healed it, so I have no, uh, I have no upset around it anymore. I have no triggers around. I'm my dad and I are really close now. They live out in the country. But what was modelled for me was my parents were so independent. And looking back, now they tell me stories about their teenage years and how rebellious they were. You know, my dad and his um, muscle cars and his motorbikes and my mom and her boyfriends that she had. And I'm sure there is so much that they're not telling me. Yeah, so the apple doesn't fall far far from the tree. Right. But at the time, of course, as a teenager, you think your parents are like the – I wouldn't say the dullest people because my mum and I were really close, but they were just my parents and I just really wanted to run away. But at the same time, I know I was supported and I was nurtured. And when it came time for me to go to university, my they supported me 100%. I don't even know why I wanted to go to university. But I ended up with a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology and Sociology, which then when I became a journalist was crucial because that I'd, I'd never studied journalism. I kind of never needed to. Writing is in my blood. My mum's a really good writer. She was always really articulate to us as kids. So, you know, I never had, I I had her as a really amazing role model for that and for so much more. My mum's amazing, but also. Shout out mom. Yeah. (laughs) High five. Gangster mom. (laughs) So you had her as a great role model. And so that led, I didn't even know you were a journalist. Yeah. Like a proper journalist. I thought you just wrote articles about these things for publications. Well, when I hit, um, so I spent my 20s in hospitality and then I ended up working for a beautiful provador called Simon Johnson. And in Simon Johnson, I met not only the great chefs of Sydney, but also all the food writers, food stylists, everyone that worked on all the top glossy food magazines. And that's what I wanted. So I had, I had to, I was so stubborn, like that's what I was going to do. And I ended up inches away from getting a job on Gourmet Traveller. <gasps> and I decided it wasn't for me because you, the obsession, the devotion these people have to food is so phenomenal. It's like top level. It's not next level. It's like the very top level. And what I know now, if anyone understands sort of human design, you would know that a manifesting generator kind of needs their options open. So I need my options open and I can't just focus on food. So for me, I really wanted to land a job that could expose me to many more subjects and many more experts and just a real buffet of gorgeousness and interest and stuff. And so when when I kind of let that dream go, I was actually offered a job on Real Living magazine as the editorial coordinator to start with, which sounds like a walk in the park <laughs> and it's actually one of the hardest jobs I've ever had in my whole life. What do you do as an editorial coordinator? Like everything. Like you are, you're picking up mail, you're, you're organising shoots, you're calling in models, you're um, calling in furniture, sending back furniture, dealing with breakages, dealing with all the staff who come to you and say, hey, can you just get this little thing for me? And you're like, what? You're like, I have a million other little things to get. Yeah. And at the same time, I was so desperate to write for that magazine. I had no time. I had no brain space. I had no anything, but I was desperate. I was like, yes. So I went up to the woman who was the beauty and health editor at the time, who's still a very dear friend of mine, Donna. And I went up to her and I was like, hey, is there any chance like I can write some just fun pop psychology stuff? And she was like, well, um, do you have like any experience in journalism? Do you have any like degrees, courses? And I just went a little bit red and I said, no. 
I said, but I do have a Bachelor of Arts in psychology and sociology. And she just looked at me and she said, well, when were you going to tell me that? (laughs) So then I got to write regularly for the magazine, which was my everything. And a year later, I became beauty and health editor, which was such a trip. And then I got to be like swept off my feet and everyone was pouring me champagne, sending me Tiffany. It was kind of ridiculous. It was just before all of that just sort of fell away as this is a bit excessive. Okay. And oh, but so you were there in the heyday? Not No, not quite. I heard about the heyday. It okay. Was, oh. <laughs> the 90s were legit heyday central. What makes that more legit heyday central than like getting Before Tiffany GFC. Oh, <laughs> this is okay. post GFC. We're oh. going to send you a little bit of Tiffany back then. It was kind of ridiculous. The trips that were being taken around the world Okay, on the expense of whatever beauty company, whatever media company, whatever PR company. So I was in this, I, I loved it up for a few years. It was really fun. I met some amazing people what really caused me to rethink this path was the more I discovered about the beauty industry, the more I could see through how magazines worked, how beauty worked and how deep the the lies really, it was all based on money. And if you had a really cheap face cream, but you had a lot of money behind you in the company, you could get that on the outside back cover. And if you paid the magazine enough money for that kind of advertising regularly, then the beauty editor has to listen. The editor has to listen to you and promote the cream on the pages as though this is my favorite day cream. So the more money is being thrown in and the more I started to see that cycle. I was working for a homewares magazine. So this, this, the beauty in that magazine was really sporadic and it was, it was there. But the more I met up with other beauty editors, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, is any of this real? And then all of a sudden the curtain came up and you just see the facade for what it is. And as much as I loved magazines, I, I don't really buy them anymore, but I really do love the medium and I love the act of sitting down with a magazine. The the joy, the pretense kind of, the, well, the false joy and the pretense was gone after a while. And also there were some really great beauty products that were coming out that were definitely organic and they were definitely made with essential oils and they had no rubbish in them at all. But do you think they could get placement in a magazine because they didn't have any money, because they were small, because they were family owned. No. And it was really hard to feature them. It was really hard. I felt like I was pushing up against a great wave and that didn't feel right to me. And so slowly I backed away and then I became a freelance journalist. And that was really fun because I got to choose who I worked for, what I wrote and how I wrote it. And I felt very much more empowered. Wait. And so as a freelance journalist, you said before you were doing pop psychology. So what does that mean? Like what would be a title of your article? Pop psychology is everyday psychology. So I never went deep into anything. So the title of my article would be like, um, how to pick yourself up after a really bad day. Okay. Or um, what to do if your boyfriend cheats on you. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So just like very like high level general. Okay. And, And who, when you were freelancing, who was like, what was one of your favorite jobs? Do you remember? I was writing for Grazia Australia. Oh, wow. Yeah. Go girl. Yeah. Okay. I had a regular, uh, I, I wrote regularly for them and I got to co-create the articles with a woman, Tracy Withers, who was one of the most fantastic journalists and editors I'd ever worked with. So 
incredibly eloquent and funny and just had it all going on. Of course, she worked for Grazia and I'd known her for a while. So I got to co-create, I guess, these articles with her and I could sense more and more of my own voice coming through. It was almost like it gave me the space. I was working from home. I was on my own turf and I was coming up with ideas and then she'd be like, yeah, and how about this? And one of my biggest articles was actually all about my lifelong anxiety and why was it that um, everyone thought that I had my life together, but actually I was falling apart. I just had my son. Um, this was 2010. Yeah. Okay. I remember you said that in your book. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what, and what was happening I at was, that time? I was falling apart. I wasn't coping with it at all. He was the sweetest, easiest child. Everyone was, look at you, you guys, you know, you own your own home and you've got this little boy and something inside of me was just screaming. And I ended up with postnatal depression, generalized anxiety disorder, and some kind of displacement disorder. And one of the best things I did was write that article because I was like, like anxiety is so rife, but we kind of see it as um, almost acceptable and yet it's debilitating. And I healed it for myself around about the time that I turned 40, but I know a lot of people who have it in their 40s and 50s and beyond. Oh yeah, well, and how did you, can you talk about how the symptoms presented, like what they were and then how you healed them? Okay, so anxiety was relentless thoughts about, what the future, worrying about the future, relentless thoughts about the past, the traumas of the past that were really haunting me, that were very easily triggered with my son. Okay. I feel like that's one of the best gifts that my kids have given me is the triggers to heal my past, the consistent sleeplessness. So I was, I've always been really sensitive. I've always been an empath, but my son brought something out in me that I wasn't able to understand. It was almost like I became so tuned into him, so tuned into everything. I felt very, very overwhelmed all the time is basically how my anxiety presented. But the thoughts in my head were very much, uh, I wouldn't say deeply dark, but they were quite um, insidious and quite relentless. And I didn't know what to do. I was seeing, so I'd been seeing psychologists for so long. Talk therapy wasn't helping. And then I ended up um, spending 10 months in a group with a mentor. And one day someone else in the group brought up their anxiety. And she said to her, what is your payoff? And I got really angry. And then I got it. What does that mean? What is the payoff for having anxiety? What do you get from other people around you by having anxiety? Because you're keeping it going for a reason. And I was like, I wanted to scream and tell her where to go. And then I went, no, no, I get it. I get it. I get it. And then I was like, okay, I just want to heal this. And the beautiful thing about this mentor is that we went really deep with spiritual journeying. We went deep into the ego. We went deep into the womb. We went deep into ancestral healing. We went deep, deep, deep. And so it went so beyond talk therapy into this realm where I could actually heal and I didn't even need to talk about it. And for me, that set my spirit on fire so bright and that set me on my spiritual path. It was the same year I traveled to Mount Chester. It was the same year that I learned Reiki. It was the same year that so much happened. And this is just after my daughter was born as well. So the anxiety was crucial because it was my body giving me really clear truths and keys 
about my life and about what was going down, what was out of balance. So for me to actually sit with that again and again and again, and then finally it healed. And so this woman, this like mentor that you had, how did you find her? If this was like pre-internet stuff, right? If it was 2010, 2012? Yeah. So how did you find her? I was researching shamanic healers for an article for Good Health magazine. They actually approached me and said, can you write an article on shamanic healers? And I get a really good vibe for people by their websites even back then. And I looked up uh, shamanic healers in Sydney and she popped up and I went, her, 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 I want to interview her right now. I interviewed her for that article. I interviewed her for another article. And she was so grateful that I had mentioned her in these national magazines that she asked if she could provide me with a free shamanic healing, which of course I jumped at. Oh my God. Yeah. Went to her place in Bondi and had this beautiful healing with her. So then I was connected through her newsletter. And when she did this 10 month mentorship, it came up and every part of my being said, yes. And so through that 10 month mentorship with her, I was able to, it was so much more than just letting go of anxiety. It was reconnecting to ancestors and ancestral wisdom and seeing my family for the gifts that they were, all of them, all of them, the gifts, they know on a soul level, everyone gets who you are. They get why you're here. They can see it. They created that blueprint with you. So you can look at something and see it as bad and you can look at someone and see that experience as good, but inevitably it's all just a perfect divine creation web to bring you into your highest purpose, your highest good, your highest health. And that's like, for me, it was like, okay, I'm going to take responsibility now for everything I do. I'm going to stop blaming everyone. And then that's when the real power like really came into my life. And that's when, you know, I got the idea for the book and then the cards were coming through and everything just kind of, and then the idea to move up to Byron Bay, I was like, (sighs) okay, why not? Yeah. Why not? If I'm going to like live this life of bliss, I might as well like take it to the pinnacle, which is like being here. And something that you were talking about before, which I think a lot of people don't know, or maybe have never heard, because obviously we don't have confirmation, like we don't know, no, but we know about when you come together with other souls, like your soul family, and there's this idea that we come and we incarnate into each lifetime wanting to learn certain lessons. And so it's almost like we are, we, we write the play before we come in to, (laughs) to act it out. And so what you were saying before, it's like all of the, everything that's going down was like preordained in a lot of ways to to, so we learn lessons so we our soul can evolve and grow. And so that's what you were talking about before with it, like the blueprint and your yes. parents and, and playing out these different roles because it's like we, we agreed to do this before we incarnated here, right? Absolutely. And the, the confirmation that I did get for that was uh, about a year ago, actually. I had had a falling out with my brother. He decided he wanted to cut his family off from ours which was actually really peaceful and good and for both of our highest benefit. And that relationship was let go of with love in both ways, in both directions. It was beautiful, hard, but beautiful. Shortly after that, I had a dream that I was on a spaceship. I'm always traveling in my dreams. Oh Trains, yeah, planes, I love spaceships. I was on a spaceship and I had my dad on my right-hand side and I had my brother on my left-hand side. And it was like I was about to be born and they said, we get it. We see you. We know exactly who you are. Oh my God, I have full body chills. <laughs> yeah. And I woke up just in tears going, they know, of course they know. They've always known. 
it's amazing. And, and every single little encounter that we have, they're never by accident. They are never by accident. And it doesn't mean we need to read into every single relationship. It just, it means that we need to trust that everything is weaving together for us to experience the life that we need to for our soul's highest evolution, highest potential, highest everything. Yeah. And evolution of our planet, you know, all the things we can take it there (laughs) with, um, before we jump into the book, so I read the book and it's so beautiful. The call of intuition, which I think is such an important thing. Our intuition has been drowned out quite a bit with like food with a lot of chemicals in it. We've talked about alcohol, drugs, media. There's like so many different inputs that we have in the world right now and in this reality that dampen our connection to ourself and our connection to intuition. But something that really piqued my interest when I was reading your book is that you introduced yourself as a psychic. And I was like, okay, like I didn't know about this. This is a new thing. So how would you like describe a psychic and and how did that like manifest for you? When you were you a kid, and then you were like, what? Tell me about your psychic gift because I just love this. For me, my psychic gifts show up as um, in my visions. So I'm a clairvoyant, as they say, but I never use that word. I also have really strong knowing, and I I hear things. I also smell like aftershave when my grandfather is around. So I just I have this other connection to what we can't see with our physical eyes. The idea of explaining what a psychic is, is so super interesting. A psychic is someone who just sees things that a human being really can't see with their own eyes. They hear things that are inaudible to a regular human being. They get a sense of the many, many beings who are present on this planet and other planets and other galaxies and places all around us. They get a sense of what cannot be found and discovered with our own five external senses. So our intuition comes from our, uh, from our senses. We can, we're all intuitive and we're all psychic. Yeah. So, so the fact that I can like tune into my son and see his dragon energy and I tune into my daughter and I see her fairy energy and I talk to them about it a lot. I want them to keep their psychic senses open forever and never let that. Cause like you say, we're conditioned to be logical, to be linear, to be um, earthly, but not too earthly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yes. God knows, like, the earth is a portal to the other realms. So the more connected and open-hearted you get with Mother Earth, the more psychic you become. So I've never heard that. But can you can you explain? Well, can you explain two things? Can you explain that and then explain how you keep your the psychic, the psychic gifts of your children open through okay. like the the energy. So whichever one you want to start with first. So You're just saying too many interesting things. <laughs> my daughter has been a real catalyst for her own psychic growth. And I just communicate with her every single day. She loves ritual. Every night before bed, we sit down and she, uh, maybe three or four years ago, she said to me, hey, mom, just like, after you sing a song and before you tuck me in, can you do something else? I went, okay, what do you want me to do? She's like, I don't know. And I went, oh. And she's like, can you just ask? And I was like, ask who, honey? And she's like, I don't know. And I went, oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Hang on a second. Let's ask Mother Earth what it is that she would like to show you. And then in came this fairy. And I went, oh, your fairy's here. And she was like, I knew it. I knew it. 
And I don't care if she's making it up. I don't care if she can see it or she can't see it. I don't care because we're all making this up. Totally. And how old is your daughter? She's now seven, seven and a half. And she is so psychic and so connected to the fairy realm. I'm not going to take any credit for that. I just keep that alive. So every night before bed, I see who comes into her room. So she's keeping me psychic. She's keeping my gifts really strong because I'll be like, oh, what? Since when do you have like a spirit turtle? And she's like, mom, it's been ages. (laughs) How are you only just seeing it now? And I'm like, why is it blue? She's like, well, because my bunny's blue. That's amazing. So we keep, yeah. So you just, you're talking about it as if it's a, a natural part of our environment and you're not saying this isn't real. That's not real. It's like whatever is real is only what you can see. It's just like whatever you sense is real. You're creating whatever it is that you want. Yes. Okay. And recently she's asked my husband, her dad, to do a similar thing. So now she has the two of us in her room every night calling in her spirit peeps, her pals, her little forest fairies. They're all coming in. We call in archangels. We call in the seraphim. We call in the fairies. We call in any animal that literally pops into my head is called in. Some nights there's maybe five, some nights there's 50, but it really, I can see something that it does for her. It really, there's a spark in her eyes while it's happening. And then I get to tuck her in and say goodnight. And we say a prayer together. We say thank you to the indigenous spirits of the land. Thank you to the ancient ones for looking over us. Thank you to Mother Earth for your nourishment. Thank you to everyone for your protection. Thank you to this big dragon energy out in the hinterland. So I'm like, thank you to the dragon energy for protecting us. Thank you for the healing, the nourishment. Thank you to all the elements, to the four directions. We see you, we know you, we thank you, and so it is. I love that. You know what popped into my head? Two things as you were saying that. One, what is your husband's take on this? Because I know that some listeners, I have um, listeners that write in and they'll say, or they'll message me and say, you know, um, thank you so much. You're really connecting me to my spiritual side. And then, uh, but like my partner is not is not really into this. So when you were talking about your husband, like how does he fit into this? Is he like open to it? Kind of what's his vibe? His vibe is really cool. He's a Leo. He loves ritual. So that particular ritual suits him. But if I can just wind back a little bit, which might be really helpful for listeners who have a partner on a completely different page. I've been into spirituality for a really long time. I've been reading like Louise Hay since I was like 21. I've been on this road for a while and I learned really early on in our relationship, never recommend a book to your husband. That's (laughs) rule number one. Of staying married (laughs) for spiritual peeps. Okay. Really, for me, I just saw the look in my husband's eye, and I'm such an empath that I saw the look in his eye one day when I said, honey, you have to read this, and then I let it go. And then I was reading Conversations with God one day, this is a long time ago, by Neil Donald Walsh, Conversations with God number one, and I would stop every now and then go, honey, would you mind if I just read a little something out for you because I'm not going to expect you to read this book at all. I just want you to hear this. Yeah. You just want to share it. Yeah. And then he would like be like, oh, wow, that's so cool. That guy is amazing. I'd be like, yeah. But I would save it for the really cool things. He ended up reading all four of his books and doing a course with Neil Donald Walsh online. Which one's Conversations with God? So that's the, there's the, there's, there's one, two, three, and four. And it's about Neil. He's really frustrated. He, it starts off with him at like his kitchen table and he's writing a letter. He's really, really pissed off. 
and everything is falling away. And he's, I think he's divorced. I think he has a very difficult relationship with a child, maybe a teen child, an adult child. And he writes on this piece of paper, he writes a question to God, like, why did you let me down? Why did you, what's going on? This isn't okay. And God writes back through his hand on a piece of paper. Automatic writing. Automatic writing. Oh and Neil is just like, what? The? And you can tell in the book, this cannot be made up. This cannot oh, be made up. This I have is chills. God writing through him. So that's what all books are, is a conversation between him, who is so articulate, so well-read. He's the perfect guy for these books. God chose the perfect guy. <laughs> yes, of course. To like move through. The books are really moving. They're really helpful because there's no, no one's telling anyone what to do, which are you know, usually the best books are just a beautiful story, a beautiful conversation. And this book is that to the next level. So he ends up doing this course with Neil Donald Walsh. And I sat back and I, and I realized my power is never telling that guy what to do. So that is not my advice. That's just my story. That's just how. So my husband has been on his own trajectory, which is totally different to mine. And just because I learned Reiki, just because I went to Mount Chester, does not give me any more spiritual, like standing over my husband. He has had his own, but both of us moving into the rainforest a year ago was huge. And he did a couple of men's circles over the time after we moved up into Byron. Through those men's circles, I could see a part of him was like, wow, he's really opening up. He's really opening up. This is amazing. And then I think my daughter must have sensed after this one particular weekend away that he something in him had opened up. And so and then she was like, dad, I, ne- I need something with dad. And I was like, okay, well, do you want to tell dad what that is or do you want to tell me what that is? And she's like, he knows. <laughs> so he came in and then and then I'm not allowed in the room. I'm not allowed to know anything about it, which I love because that gives them this time that they don't have. He's a really busy guy. Unfortunately, he didn't work on Game of Thrones, but no, he has written software and that's been picked up by like every amazing TV show, every amazing That's what it was. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you said he won a couple Emmys. I need to have him on the show. Yeah, do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. He's cool. The other question you asked a little earlier on is how is Mother Earth a portal into the psychic realms? Mother Earth is the psychic realm. So she's the third dimension. Mother Earth is now becoming a multidimensional realm. So she's always had the first dimension in her core, which is the iron core crystal. She's always had the second dimension, which is everything between the core and the surface of the earth. The third dimension is everything that grows on the surface of Mother Earth, including humans and animals. We're all the third dimension. The fourth dimension is mind and is thought. Fifth dimension is love. Let's see if I can get this right. If I don't, you can read The Alchemy of Nine Dimensions by (laughs) Barbara Hanclough because she nails it. I love her. I love her. I love her so much. She's so good. She's so good. Okay, I heard her on a podcast with um, Guru Jagat. That was the best podcast. The best. Yeah, that episode was so good. I miss Guru. Me too. So sad. She's doing work somewhere. She is. She connected with me. I think she connected with a lot of people when she died. Okay. And she was like my kick-ass life coach for about six months and then she disappeared. Oh, darn. And that's what a lot of people do. Wayne Dyer was like my writing coach after he died Oh. on my first book. Wow. He just came and stood next to me after he died and I was like, 
I've never met him before. I'd read like a little bit of his work, loved the man. I just loved listening to his voice. And he just showed up in the middle of my living room in North Byron Bay one day. And I was like, hey, man, he's like, you're going to get this book written. Oh, my and God. I, and I went, really? And then Louise kind of came in for a second. And I was like, you guys. Louise, hey? Yeah. And they were like, you're going to get this book written. And they looked at me. It was all seriousness. It was all business. They weren't like throwing glitter in Yeah, the totally. Like, boom, confetti. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, this, this is important. This is really important. This message is really important. You're going to write this book. It's going to get published. I don't even want you to have one doubt ever that this will get published. So I kind of thought maybe I should go down the Hay House trail, but actually that didn't feel aligned, which is super ironic given who's in my living room. <laughs> yeah, both of them are here. <laughs> well, and for anyone wanting to write a book, what would you say is that because this podcast is about intentional creation, entrepreneurship, manifestation, all the things, but it's a big piece of creation is pushing past like your fears and your beliefs to create the end result. And I know from experience that anything that's like where it involves writing or creating like a final product, like, you know, your beautiful cards, your light worker cards that you have, like that's, it takes immense focus and persistence. And, and in the, the world that we live in now, which is like instant gratification and our, our attention is being called every which way. It's very challenging to finish something like this. So what kind of tools or like framework did you rely on to, to complete your book? And then we'll jump into it. One of the things Wayne Dyer said in person, I think it was on a podcast ages ago okay. when he was alive, alive. Yes. And he said, <laughs> he said, whenever he got an idea for a book, he would design his own cover, print it out or have someone at Hay House design it, print it out. And he would stick it up on the wall and he'd be like, the book is done. All I have to do now is fill it in. And spirit's going to help me. Spirit's going to guide me because the book is already done. So what happened with me was I went to the Hay House Writers Workshop before I started writing this book, before I had any idea what I wanted to write. I was taking notes and I was really curious about this whole process. And then I dropped in and had a meditation that night and I was like, okay, I just want to see like if the book is there or what's going on. And I got a sense that my ego was in the way. So I was just like, okay, I ended up like standing on this cloud. And then all of these like angels started to stand in front of me, like nine of them. And each of them started to hand me a chapter of my book as though it was done, as though it was done like a long time ago. So they each handed me a chapter of my book. And that was another way of me knowing within myself the book was already done. Yeah. So the more I showed up for it, the more it was just going to be done. Now, I'm a procrastinator. I am, um, I am a Gemini. I love public speaking. I love sharing my stuff. And I'm also kind of scared about it as well. So I, sometimes I really hold myself back. But when you know that something is coming through you, when you know that something is really important, because that book was not about me getting famous, that book was about empowering people to listen to their hearts, yeah. to trust their guts, and to open up their minds to the psychic insights, the everyday insights that are all around them. Then I knew that the message was for other people and that made it easier to show up every day. And I did. And that's how you write a book. You show up, you write it. And if you do it every day, I, gotta, I, I really need to tell you when it comes to writing a book, if you do it every day, it's actually easier because you're in the flow. You're in this creative flow for yourself. 
So make it easy. Have a desk that's clean and beautiful and have your cover up on your wall. It doesn't matter what it looks like because it will never be the cover unless actually you work for Hay House yeah. or someone. <laughs> or if you're an artist or... Yes. No, I think that's a, a beautiful a beautiful tenet of, of intentional creation is acting as if, is walking the walk as if it has already happened. And so that's so helpful. I love all of that. So we have the book here, The Call of Intuition, How to Recognize and Honor Your Intuition, Instinct, and Insight. And I think this is so, so important. Drop it on us. How do we do it? So the body wisdom that we have that we carry around with us every single day is phenomenal. We are brought up to think logically. We touched on this before. Life is linear. You go through life. You like pick up the little pots of gold. You get the job. You get the partner. You get the kids, the house, the car. Then you retire. That's the linear focus that we give our children. That's the logical way. The first thing we want to teach our kids is the alphabet. The first thing that we think is really important. Wow, they're starting to get maths. That's so cool. Okay, maths is cool. I'm actually a maths geek. I love maths, total maths geek. Loved it, rocked it all through school. But one thing that we're really recognizing now, especially in homeschooling, especially in Waldorf and Steiner education, is the importance of allowing kids their imagination, allowing kids their body wisdom, honoring it, reflecting it, seeing it, noticing it, and celebrating it. And that is one of the most important things we can do for our kids because, not to speak for everyone in my age group, but I'm 45 and I was taught none of that. I saw it in my mum though. I saw it in her and I've always been intuitive. She's a highly intuitive woman. And I was able to hold on to that intuitive knowing my whole life. When intuition became a real buzzword and everyone on social media was like putting their little truth bomb down around intuition, I started going, that's right, that's not right, that's right, that's not right. And then it was like, how dare you? Don't be so arrogant. You're not the only one who like knows intuition. How do you know anyway? <laughs> and then I was like, fine, I'm going to find out. I'm going to write a book. Oh. It didn't happen that simply, but essentially I had to write the book because I really wanted to channel through from my body's wisdom. And my body is the earth. Our bodies are the earth. So essentially it was the greater wisdom of all that was coming through me. That sounds really arrogant, but it just No, actually, no, that just is, is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. So then for me to explain, okay, intuition, and I started using intuition and instinct and insight and third eye as all the same thing. Yeah, bodies are like just singing to us every day and you just like, that's, and then I was like, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. No, it's actually really clearly defined because I know this thing is tangible. I know this wisdom is tangible. And the one thing someone said once on social media that really sparked this book, they said, you'll never know where your intuition comes from. You'll never know like who it is or what it's trying to say. It'll be really vague. It'll be really whatever, but you have to trust it. I'm like, what kind of advice is that? Our intuition is actually the most tangible, the most tangible wisdom we can ever receive is from our bodies. Our logical wisdom isn't even within us. It's in our mind. Where is our mind? Our mind is all over the place. It's in ourselves. It's in our aura. Our intuition is in our body. It's our five senses. It's our subconscious mind. It's deep, it's deep, and it's real. So then I started to like unpick gut instinct. Oh, okay. So if the instinct is in the gut, where is the intuition? Well, it has to be the heart. 
yeah, that feels really good. My body was saying yes. And then there's something else. There's something else. It's insight. And for a lot of people, it's everyday insight. So it's listening to a podcast and hearing something new and saying, yes, that aligns with what I already know. I love that. That's super cool. For other people, it's psychic insight as well. It's hearing something from the higher realms and saying, I just got this message that I need to call Hillary. I don't know why. And then I call you and you're having a bad day and you're like, oh, thank God you called. It's, it's, it's the knowing that drops in. That's a psychic insight. So when I started to peel it open and I just had this like big design on this big piece of cardboard, gut instinct, heart intuition, and a mind insight. Okay, great. Then I was reading, I think it was Dr. Joe Dispenza, and he was talking about how intuition is connected to the subconscious mind. And all of my psychology, three years of psychology came flooding back to me. And I went, yes. So the gut instinct must be connected to the unconscious mind. And the more I dug into that, the more I found the ancestors in my instinct as well. We're born as babies with a strong physical instinct. We can't see. We can't hear. We're barely like sensory. But our instinct is so strong. We know how to climb up our mum's bellies and get that milk that we need. We know that's our ancestors. That runs really deep. It's like cellular memory from our lineage. Yes. Gotcha. Which is not always grounded, which is not always balanced. Our ancestors have been through a lot. Yeah. What you find when you get older is that if you don't have a strong instinct, you can look into ancestral healing. You can look into healing your lower three chakras. You look into feeling more safe and secure and grounded and connected to the earth. There's so much you can do to help balance your instinct. And when you do that bit by bit, you become really strong in your knowing in that instinctive reflex of, nope, that person is not for me. I don't need to spend any more time with them. Thank you so much. That book that someone just recommended is not for me. I feel it in my gut. My gut is getting restrictive. It's getting really strong and it's saying definitely no. There is no language in the gut. It's a very deeply physical response. In the heart, however, it's still very physical, but it becomes a little bit more dreamy because the subconscious mind is connected to the conscious mind through dreams, sensations, visions. It's a whole dreamy way that we communicate with ourselves and our intuition. There's symbols, there's a whole lot going on. It's not in a language that we know like English or whatever language that we speak. That's not how our heart communicates with us. So to know our intuition is to go into our bodies and say, what is my, how does my heart feel around this? And for me, my heart gets really expansive. You know, when people say it's a full body, yes, for me, that's my intuition. My my, my heart space opens up and it's a full body. Yes. Okay, you have something interesting that when you said that just popped in. So how do you know the difference between a full body yes and then a but a, or if you're feeling really fearful to do something because you're going to be stepping into something bigger, which some people can say, "Oh, that's like a, you know, that that's a no for me, but it's really just because you're scared shitless." Like how do you discern between those things? It's so that's such a great question. Usually when your body is saying absolutely no, it's just physical. When you are scared of something that is actually meant for you, that is actually excitement in your body, not fear, fear and excitement can feel exactly the same in your body. And how you know is by listening to the voice that's in your head, because your ego will always make up stories to keep you small. 
So if that's what's going on, you need to journal and you need to say, hey, thanks, ego. I get that you're trying to protect me. I really appreciate your place in this realm of mine. And I just want to invite you in and say what's going on. And then, you, and then the ego says, I'm really scared of being an author. I'm really scared of being seen. I'm really scared. I just don't, I'm, this, I'm not worthy of any of this. Oh, okay. You come from your higher self and you say, okay, I get it. And I love you and thank you. And so what is it that caused you to feel unworthy? And what is it that, and you might start to see flashes of childhood or flashes of failure in your early career or whatever it is that comes to you. So that's why journaling can really unpack the sensations of your body to see what's really going on. And what that does is, is it gives you an anchor point for the rest of your life so that you can understand, oh yeah, yeah, I know this feeling. I'm just excited. This is just a huge opportunity for me. And man, if I say yes to this, everything is going to change. My ego does not want anything to change, let alone everything, right? (laughs) That's how you know. And you need to get to know, you need to unpack that within yourself. And then you start to get to know. And I love what you said there about the, once you get familiar with identifying those emotions, then it's like when something else comes in, you're like, okay, yes. Okay. Yes. And that's what I love about doing a lot of this work is that when you put in that effort to really unpack why you feel the way you do and what your triggers are, it, it is becomes in your body. It's like when you are like now when I'm, I want to manifest something, I'm like, I understand the energetic so much of how to create that now I'm like, oh, nothing scares me anymore. Or I mean, some things scare me, but it's like, it's, it, it really just gives you the tools to be able to live a life that is just so much more embodied with what it is that you want to create. And, but you have to sit and examine the feelings or you're just going to be scared or, or you're not going to know is like, is this for me? Or am I trying to stay small? Like you, you have to sit and examine it. And I think that's the work. That's definitely the work. And when it comes to instinct and intuition, people get very confused. What you need to know first up with instinct and intuition is that they are not the voices in your head. So when you get to know the voices in your head, then you get to unpack what's going on there. Intuition will never speak to you in a, I don't like that person. That's your ego. The voices in your head are essentially your ego. And that's cool. Invite your ego in. There's a lot of wisdom there. There's a lot of trauma there. There's a lot going on in there. Your instinct doesn't speak in words. Your intuition doesn't use words. So what you then learn is how strong your instinct is when you're feeling really grounded and you might come up with some kind of technique, barefoot on the grass, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, every morning, sunshine on your face, swimming in the ocean, whatever it is that keeps you really grounded and connected to the earth because that strengthens your instinct and then you find you're able just to respond in love. So when you are not responding in love, you know that something is blocking you from fully accessing your instinct and or your intuition. And although they're independent and your insight is independent, they're all interdependent as well, which sounds contradictory, but that's just how it works. They work also beautifully together. Of course they do because they're all in us, but also you can separate it and say, okay, well, what am I feeling in my heart today? What am I feeling in my gut today? And how is my mind? Is it cluttered? Is it open? What does it need? So you get to keep up the health of your psychic insight or your everyday insight, your heart's intuition, your gut's instinct. You get to keep up that health. Just because they're there doesn't mean that they're communicating to you 
in perfect love and harmony, it's still all happening within you. And if you have blocks and if you have somatic trauma that needs to be released, or if you have anything that's getting in the way of you listening to them from a space of clarity, it's not perfection. It's never perfection. It's just removing the blocks. It's like if you want to manifest something, you're like, okay, so what stands between me and that? Just my mind making stuff up about why I can't get that. Cool. So what is my mind making up? Write it down. How do I clear that? You learn the tools. It's exactly the same. It's all the same. To get more connected to your intuition. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Something that popped into my head as you were talking, I wanted to ask you this earlier and now I just reminded when you were going to Mount, you were talking about the earth in the different dimensions and you said that earth is the third dimension. When you went to Mount Shasta, and this seems like a derail, but we'll bring it back. Um, we're, because like there are allegedly people that live inside the mountains there, which dimension would they be in? So the people that live inside of Mount Shasta are from many different dimensions, many different realms and galaxies, many. And there's a inner city called Telos, T-E-L-O-S, and you can look that up. There are actually people who live in Mount Shasta who will take you on a Zoom call into Telos and they will, you'll meet with a guide and, you, well, you're, you're taken there so you're safe. If you learn a lot about Telos like I did and a lot about Shasta and a lot about the beings there, then you can actually ask to be taken there during your dream state but to be completely protected because there are a lot of beings there. So don't just go flying in there on a whim because you need to know what you're looking for. You need to set a really clear intention. You need to have a guardian with you. So Shasta is this, my goodness, extremely potent, powerful portal on earth. There are so many portals on earth, but Shasta is one of the chakras. I can't remember which one now. And it's a really powerful place. I it's have in had, California. It's in California. I, I went on a road trip. I had my 40th birthday in San Francisco. Oh my God. That's, that's amazing. This I is before the pandemic. This is before the pandemic. Okay. Cause you're 44 and that was four years ago. Cool. Yeah, okay. I'm almost 46. So oh, okay. yeah, almost, almost six years ago, I went on, I went to San Francisco with some friends and we were like in the redwoods and I had always planned to go to Shasta. I hired a car in Mill Valley Drove up. What did I do? The 505 and the... Or like the 101. 101 and the, yeah, and yeah. The, I used to the live five. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 280. Yeah. <laughs> All the things. Yep, yep. Stayed three nights in Mount Chester and completely changed my life. The whole time I was on the mountain, I was with a physical guide and she was the one that was taking me into fairy realms. She was the one that was taking me into the mountain. And by that, I mean, we're like lying on the snow and... It's late May and we're lying on the snow and she's like, okay, hey, cool. We're going to do this like meditation. We're just going to go in the mountains. So you're just like, I'm just going to guide you there and see what happens. And I had this amazing experience with Archangel Michael and fairies. And, and then there was another meditation where I connected to a fern, like an actual, it looked like just an actual very plain fern. And the fern took me into a cave. And in the cave, I met with this really dark being who I recognized as my ego and I was able to love it and that it turned into this, this magical experience. Shasta holds, Shasta is like the buffet of all spiritual buffets. And when you get to know the place, you can navigate it. I would recommend if anyone is feeling really buzzy right now and wanting to connect with Shasta to look up online, someone who you can do an online connection with to understand it a little bit better. I am not that guide for sure. people. Yeah. You're just but, sharing your experience. Yeah. 
So Shasta was a huge game changer. I met with my great, great, great grandmother. She called herself Magdalene. She came to us on the side of the mountain in spirit. It was really interesting, and I've never done this before, is that my guide who I was with could see her and straight away I could see her too. And she had died a horrific death. She was a witch. She was all these things and she came to us and then we were able to energetically release it. But my guide and I had been talking about some um, alcoholism in my family. My parents, I believe, were sober by then. I got sober almost three years ago and I couldn't stop talking about my grandmother who died from alcoholism. And she said there's a is it miasm, miasm in, it's almost like a curse that has run through my mother's lineage and I wanted to get to the bottom of it. So we chatted to my great, great, great grandmother, Magdalene, for a while. We kind of cleared her energy so her soul was ready to incarnate again if she chose because she wasn't in that place. It was super powerful. It's kind of an understatement, right? Oh, yeah. Well, and, and you're, you're doing this clearing for her so her soul can then... Re- so she was kind of stuck because of the trauma yes. of that lifetime. Yes. Wow. Okay, keep going. I got home. My mum was in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, because her youngest sister had passed that January. This is late May. It's now June. I'm home. I email my I email my mum. My parents are very churchy, but my mum is open to anything. She's read my book. She, you know, doesn't exactly play with cards, but she's she's open to it. So I email her and I say, hey, mom, this is what happened at Mount Shasta. It was pretty amazing. Uh, she's saying her name is Magdalene. Do you think you can ask your other sisters, cousins, she has so many relatives there, if anyone, you know, has a family tree that goes that far? She starts asking around, other conversations come up, and that same day she finds out that she's Indigenous to Canada and her mom never told her. So she's got all these Indigenous cousins I am like part, only a tiny part, and I don't claim this with any real right to claim it because I understand I'm a white girl with blonde hair living in Byron Bay, but I am part Cree Indian. Oh, wow. Yeah. In North America. Yeah. Wow. So that was the day that we found out. So there is this Magdalene opening something up for us as a family, and I believe for me in particular, for my mum to heal And I believe when I tuned in and I talked to my grandma in spirit a lot, always have. And when I asked her about it, she said she couldn't tell her children they were indigenous because they were, she had heard about, you know, indigenous children being taken. Yeah. And so. um, Why? So then they would have thought, oh, if someone knew she was indigenous, she would have been taken to one of those, those schools that they put all the kids in, like the re-education camp type things. Yes. So because my grandmother's grandfather was Scottish. They didn't all look super Indigenous. They didn't look, so she she just didn't tell anyone. No one knew. Some of the cousins guessed because they looked more Indigenous, but for some reason my mom and her siblings just didn't know. And then when they found out, it was it was pretty amazing. It was pretty emotional to find that out. And then that has affected like spiritual journeys for me ever since, because now I get to connect to a tribe that's yeah. in my blood. The Cree Indians. The Cree Indians. Yeah, like you're, you're part Native American. Yeah. Wow, if you were in America, that would be enough for you to like claim something because yeah, you, you, it's like a certain percentage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. mum has said that I think she's putting in that paperwork right now. A lot of my cousins have. Amazing. And it's something that I could do and it's something I could do for my kids. I'm not sure if I'm going to pursue it because it doesn't feel, I feel a little bit, 
like living here. I don't really want to, I don't know if I want to claim that um, to gain something, if that makes sense. I just, I love claiming that for myself, for my heart and, and I can feel them in my blood. I can feel them in my bones. And at the moment that's enough for me. Yeah. Well, and just recognizing the lineage, yes. you know, it's just a, and there's this concept that, oh, there's several things what you said that I, I love and something that we can connect back to your book. But before we do that, there's this idea that I've always had around, around like the different lifetimes that we've had and are in our lineage. And that I believe that we have incarnated in many different bodies and many different colors and many different sexes and socioeconomic classes. And, and so when we talk about like indigenous wisdom and native American wisdom and Scotland, Norway, where my people are from, all of that, we we've kind of been everywhere, you know, like we've incarnated as everything. And so I love to look, it doesn't take anything away from like here and now in that wisdom, but it also, I think it's a, it's a lens that I wish more people looked through because then it would be like, oh, Hey, oh, you're like a white woman in this, in this life. Like, sorry, you know, like, sorry for these reasons. Oh, you incarnated as like an impoverished person on the streets of India in this lifetime. Shit, I've been there, <laughs> you know? And then it's like, we can all just, if, if that was a common idea, then I think we would, there would just be less division and more coming together and an understanding of what we've all been through, but there's obviously so much to gain from the powers that be by keeping us separate. So anyways, that's just like another, it's a side thought, but something that you said about connecting to spirits and cards and all of that in your book, you talked about whenever you want to connect with spirit, use any type of ritual, anything, it's really important to, to be clear. You talked about not drinking alcohol, not being um, under the influence of drugs. Can you talk about that a bit more? Because I think that's something that, and the emotions too. I think people don't always understand that, like the, wh- like how you are in that moment and the influences that you're under and how that influences the kind of spirits that you call in. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I, I would love to. So when you open up to spirit, spirit is everything. Spirit, now there's no good or bad in spirit, but there are beings who want your highest good and there are beings that want to use you and not in a good way. There are a lot of people on this planet right now who are either completely or a little bit or somewhere in between being run by a spirit who definitely does not have their highest interests at heart. Humans to some species who don't live here, but actually come close to us. Humans are kind of like a little game. Can they, can they take over us so that, that we can be greedy? A lot of people on this earth, I shouldn't say a lot, but there is a really good chunk of people living alive right now who have greed as their number one intention, whether it's conscious or not, doesn't matter. These people could essentially be the the reason why humanity doesn't make it through this ascension process. I fully believe that we will. I know we will. We have so much support. So when you open up essentially to spirit, calling in guides, you don't just want to call in anyone. And before you even do that, it's really good to get grounded and clear. So if you don't get grounded and clear, and if you've never done this work before, what can happen is you can open up to someone who's like, (laughs) 
I can sneak in. Yeah. And I'm not saying that this is likely to happen. It depends on who you are, but there's just, please understand that there is just in the, uh, in the unseen realms, there are just all types. All types. all types of characters. There's a dragon who has known you and loved you for millions of years. And there's a dragon who just wants you to crack open a little bit, which is easier when you're drunk, which is easier when you're not focused, whether you're on drugs, whether you're overtired, whether you are in the car, you can be really unfocused and you can be like, hey, I'm just going to open up to spirit. I'm just going to ask for this, this and this. Now, if you can be really grounded. So whenever I do energy healing, I try and get two feet on the earth. I call in, I used to call in my guides and my council of light, but they kind of took off last March. And now it's like, where do they go? Well, when I tuned in and I asked, so I used to have a council of light, you know, Isis, Merlin, Mary, a couple of archangels, really cool crew. And I used to have a council of star beings, Pleiadians and Arcturians and Syrians and those sorts of people. Then I had my council of ancestors so whenever I wanted to meditate, I would tune into which one kind of needed to communicate to me and then I would feel something come through and, I, and that would guide me with my writing, that would guide me with my clients, with my family, with my health, anything, everything. They all left one night. I looked up at the stars and I was like, wait, hey, where, where did everyone go? <laughs> like all three councils were all gone? All three councils were oh gone. Oh my God, okay. It took me a little while to grieve that and yeah, then I realized that, you know, we were chatting about the dimensions before. You've got the fourth dimension, which is where, if you want to call it a battle, that's where the battle is right now. It's to get your attention. That's all it is. The, the fourth dimension is your mind. Wherever your attention goes is your power. Yeah. It's not just directing your power. It is your power. The fifth dimension is love. So basically the fourth dimension is this portal into love. And beyond that, you've got the higher dimensions of sacred geometry, of sound, the mind of God. What's happening now in this ascension is the earth is moving into what's called a photon band. And this is all science. None of this is really spiritual. <laughs> all spirit is science, all science. Exactly. Really, all, it's all <laughs> same, same. So the earth is moving into the photon band, which means there's more light. That's why it's the age of light. It's not because some spiritual person decided, hey, let's just, it's going to be the age of Aquarius. We're going to call it the age of light. Sounds really fun. It's literally the age of light because the earth is lighting up from the inside out. And she's also becoming a very highly multidimensional being in herself. It's very, it was very hard 30, 40, 50 years ago to connect to three councils in a meditation, whereas now it's really quite easy because the veil is getting thinner and thinner because of the dimensions. So when my councils kind of disappeared, I noticed them reappearing all around me in earth. And I would see Archangel Michael not just represented by a butterfly in a butterfly. I would see Merlin in my son. I would see Isis in the golden ankh that lives inside my being, which I meditate on every day. That's a source of my power. It's so much more than a symbol. I would see Mother Mary, sorry, I would see Mary Magdalene in a rose. And I knew that the rose came before Mary Magdalene. So in a way, it was almost like she was the symbol of the rose. The rose is far more ancient than any master. Maybe the rose is the master. And maybe it's now it's time to really get on our knees and bow before the ferns and the roses and the birds and the butterflies, because they are bringing through the wisdom of the higher dimensions. It's all on earth. So as the earth ascends, we ascend with her. This isn't just about us. Yeah. This is about opening up to her power and her energy. 
And for those people who are going down the AI path, they may not understand, they may, they may be resisting the power of the earth. They may not feel comfortable with it. They're more comfortable going into a virtual reality. Whereas there's another path that a lot of people I know are taking, which is community, bare feet, get on the ground, serve your people, love your people, clean up your trauma, love yourself hard. The kids that are being born now are demanding to be educated in a different way. They do not want to be numbed out anymore. They don't yeah. want to be medicated. They want to be fully alive, fully seen and fully connected. They are a major part of this upgrade. So that kind of explains the dimensions in the earth a little bit more and why she is the portal, like she is everything. I love to go for a walk and just sit with a tree or a leaf or a flower or a little lizard and just focus on that for as long as possible. There is so much around us and we're getting so distracted. She is the purpose. So that's why the latest book that I wrote was all about her, not to get us off any Oh, no, we're, we're, that we're on, on the path. No, 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 I'm on your path, girl. <laughs> Wait, so what was, what's this, the, the second book? The second book is called Wild Hearted Purpose. Okay. Comes out on February 8th and Mother Earth just gave me this idea of helping people understand their sole purpose through the lens of the earth and journeys through the earth. Because I had been a sole purpose mentor for a year and I'd been really helping clients tune into their soul's blueprint and I'd been receiving messages and visuals from nature. And at first I was like, what do you mean all I have to say is red lily? That's so ridiculous. <laughs> you know, they're paying me money for this. <laughs> so what? So if I'm your client and you said red lily, what would that mean? I had a client in the US and we were talking about her purpose and she was feeling a little bit lost. And I love helping people with anything from social media to, okay, making more money or bringing together an online community. I love talking all about it. And the red lily would just not get out of my vision, my third eye, it was getting bigger and bigger and bigger and just saying, share me, share me. And I said to her, I just need to interrupt you for a second. There's a red lily that wants to come through and it's showing me both of your hands being outstretched and receiving a red lily. Can you do that right now? And she burst into tears <gasps> and she just went, oh, you have no idea what that flower means to me. And then we got into this huge, like that was the rest of the session was all about the red lily. That one red lily just like shaped her whole career from then on. It was really important for her. Even yesterday I was with a friend. She was explaining something that was going on for her daughter and I was trying to explain to the daughter what was going on and how she can help that at night. She was, I don't want to yeah, go into it's it a too private much. Thing, it was I a really it. private thing. And I said, oh, and if you ever need help, just um, call on your snow leopard. I'm pretty sure you've got a snow leopard as a spirit animal. And her mom just stared at me and said, she is obsessed with her toy snow leopard. Like it's a really specific thing. And so both of them were like, wow, like that's just, it's spirits, it's spirits way. It's mother earth's way of, of confirming to them like, yes. Yes. Yeah. Like you're on the right path. This is it. Like, it's just like these, we talk about this a lot in the show, just like serendipities or synchronicities and it, they're not by, by like happenstance or chance. Like that's just the way that, that we're, that the earth communicates with us. It's the way that, that we're, are, that we are divinely guided to what it is that we are meant here, meant to do. Yes. Yeah. So that's so beautiful. So we've got wild hearted purpose. 
next. And so what else can we kind of like little teasers for the audience, like anything else that they can kind of expect from that if they want to order the book when that comes out? Because we're almost, we're almost good for time. The book is, um, the book is essentially a journey that was guided by mother earth. So what it does is it takes you through actual journeys, which is why I can't wait to record the audio book. The book will take you on journeys through valleys and over mountains and along the beach and into the water. It'll take you through so many experiences of nature because Mother Earth really wanted me to show others how she has all the answers. When my son was really little and I was really worried about, I had no idea about Steiner education, but thankfully when he turned three, I found out it was perfect timing. Yes. And someone said to me, hey, don't worry about it. Nature has all the answers kids will ever need in order to be fully educated. Something in that stayed with me. So when I wanted to talk about soul purpose, Mother Earth said, oh, hey, remember that thing? I've got all, I can share with you whatever you want and it'll just help people understand. I don't like writing books that say, hey, I know everything. Like I'm a mentor and I do this. It's, it's not my way. My way is always channeling and for me to sit with Mother Earth and say, what do you want me to share with today? And she would say vines. And I'd be like, cool. And then I would write a journey <laughs> about vines and something would unfold in the journey that I would never expect. And then after I would write the journey, I would know what the lesson was. And then I would be able to share with people when there is overgrowth in your life, it's really an opportunity. When there is a dark storm and you find yourself in the middle of it, it's a portal to calm. And it'll just shape you every time a storm comes along from then on, if you can really drop into that. So every journey, every image, every visual, every symbol that she gave me was then became, then became a lesson and a way to help people understand themselves, their gifts, their talents, their soul purpose, their blueprint, their light, their love. Uh, besides Mother Earth, it's a real call for community a grassroots community, grassroots community, calling in your people, whether or not that's in a suburb, in a city, in a village, in the mountains, whether that's all on one property or everyone next to each other on their property, it literally doesn't matter. Live near your people and live heart to heart, understand energy exchange, understand symbiosity, understand that your gifts are so vital and so important. You landed here on earth in the middle of an ascension. Like you are amazing. You are so important. So the book is really a call to get outside in your bare feet, call in your community and really share what you have to share with the world because it's vital. That's so beautiful. So beautiful. I'm going to use so many sound bites from that <laughs> for your real. Oh, well, on that note, we, we're, we're finished for time. But what I wanted to, kind of how we always end it is, is just um, kind of a look back. And you talked about your childhood and growing up and all the different things that you went through. And I know there might be some listeners who are haven't quite found their way or could be working through something like what you were going through. But if you could send a message back to yourself at any age, what message would you send and, and how old would you be? The hardest time of my life was probably my son's age now, which is about 12. 
there was a lot of confusion there. And so at any point in my life when I was so deeply confused, what I would really love to say to myself is that what you're going through now is transformation. And it feels confusing because you don't know what's coming. And if you can just connect in what you know, if you can just connect in with what you know and what you love, anchor yourself in to love and you're going to be okay. You're going to be so much better than okay. You're going through a metamorphosis and that's really gritty. That's really unknown. It's challenging. It changes every part of you into something that is more radiant and it'll happen again and again. And that's what life is. That is what this blessing of life is on earth is the opportunity to up-level ourselves again and again, not just once like a butterfly. We can do it a thousand times and we can come out shining and we can come out showing other people how we did it and inspire other people to do the same thing. Thank you for joining me today. My intention is always that you leave feeling inspired in some way, in a better mood. You have that bit of courage to to take action on whatever it is that you're wanting to create right now. That idea that's been brewing in the back of your mind for the last six months or six years. It's all about just taking little steps each day. So hopefully this gave you a bit of motivation to do that. If you enjoyed the episode and want to stay up to date with the happenings of the show, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple. We're also on iHeartRadio now. And you can also leave us a review in your app. It's a great way to show your support for the show. And as always, have a beautiful day and until next week.